Now I want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. You know, tonight is really a message that, you know, if you're fighting a battle uh, or you have an obstacle and it seems extremely difficult, it's overwhelming, it's, it's like this. If God doesn't come through, there's no way. It's impossible. I just want you to know tonight's for you. And maybe you're not in that situation. Here's what I know. You're either going into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. And uh, if you're not in that situation, I want you to take some notes because I really believe this is going to be something that will prepare you for when you do find yourself in that situation. And, and I wish that when we face battles, the enemy would fight fair, right? Like it's one thing, okay, just give me this. But it, I, I found that if, you know, it's never just one thing. It's like a, an all-out assault. It's a... Just an all-out attack of the enemy. And tonight, my job is to give you some strategy and some wisdom that I believe God will speak to you in a powerful way to set you up so that God can get the glory when, when you walk out the victory of what seems like an impossible situation. We're going to go into 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to go verse 6 through 15. Now, let me set the uh, stage for this. This is where King Saul is... The king of Israel. Uh, Israel is at war with the Philistines. And they're in what is an impossible situation. They are in battle. They're fighting against their enemy. There's a couple of thousand Israelites fighting against a massive army of Philistines. In fact, it says there were 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. And here's how the Bible describes the Philistine army. And people as the sand on which the seashore is multiplied, or the multitude of the seashore. That's how many people they were fighting against. How many you know a few thousand against that is insurmountable odds. And so they find themselves in the middle of this battle. And what makes it even worse when you go back and study is that the Philistines had been oppressing the Israelites, so they wouldn't even let them have a blacksmith. So there were no swords, there were no weapons. They actually had to go into the Philistine territory to get shoes for their horses or anything that was made with iron so that uh, the Philistines kept them from having weapons. And the Bible records in this battle and in this instance that the only two people that had a sword were King Saul and his son Jonathan. Now, I don't know about you, but a couple of thousand men against an army as big as that is with no weapons, that's not a good picture of victory for me. Uh, and so we find in this story, uh, in just the earlier chapter in verse 13, I'm going to give you a little bit of what took place. Saul is taking it easy underneath a, palm, a pomegranate tree. Now he's laying there, but the truth is he is frozen because he has been paralyzed with fear. The army of a couple of thousand has now dwindled to less than 600. They've all scattered into caves because they're afraid of the enemy. And Jonathan, his son, is aggravated. Uh, his dad is sitting there. The men it talked about were, were terrified and afraid. And Jonathan is frustrated at the inaction of not only his father, but the men that call themselves warriors. And so Jonathan decides to take a move and to go and attack the enemy by himself with only his armor bearer and one sword between the two of them. And so I want us to pick up this story and then we're going to have a conversation and see what Jonathan would tell us. 
In verse 6, and I'm just going to read the whole thing, and so just stay with me. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Come on, isn't that an interesting word? Perhaps. Don't you wish when you were engaged in spiritual warfare with the enemy, there would be more than a perhaps? Can I tell you that often there is not? There are no definitives. Absolutely, you're always going to win. No, the, 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 the battles that I have fought in my life and the ones where God brings victory, it's almost always perhaps the Lord will be with me. So for those of you that need absolute assurance, I don't know that it's coming your way. But he says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So he knows the character and nature of God. Then he says, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer says. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Now, that's a great friend right there. That's what we call ride or die, right? Somebody's like, hey, you, and, and you could say, well, it's his armor bearer. He didn't have a choice. Well, he had a choice. You know, at the end of the day, he, he's, he's, this is where we know he was fully convinced. It says heart and soul, not just actions. So there was something on the inside that's not just out of duty or obligation, but there was something inside that says, I have full confidence in you. Um, and so Jonathan said, come on then, let's go. We'll cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until you come, until we come to you, we'll stay where we're at and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because... Uh, we will climb up because that'll be the sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. And again, the reason they did that is when the Philistine army came around them, they fled, fled into caves. So the thousands became 600 and many of them were still in the caves. So they're saying, oh, here they come. They're crawling out of their caves, out of their holes where they were hiding. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some uh, 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. So you got to win some battles to, to get victory in the war. Like there's something about it. You, nobody's... We all have to fight the battles in life. And then God comes in and fights the big battle. And so here he fights the battle that he can fight. And then God fights the battle that he cannot fight. And he strikes panic. Here's what I love. The enemy tried to put fear in the heart of Jonathan and Saul. And he did with Saul, but not Jonathan. And then God strikes fear in the heart of the enemy. He flips the script on them. Isn't that awesome? The, what the enemy will try to use to destroy you. Many times that's what God will use to destroy the enemy in your life. Those in the camp and field and those on the outpost and the raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Now I have to think about this. What would have happened had Jonathan not had the courage to step up and to attack the Philistines and to take some steps of faith in this battle? But well, what would have happened is the Philistines would have destroyed the, the, the nation of Israel. 
and uh, God's people would have been utterly destroyed. And yet what we see is that Jonathan stepped up and made a courageous decision that he decided to take a risk. He decided to step out in faith and fight an enemy that seemed impossible for him to defeat. And because of that, God brings a great victory to the Israelites. I want you to know this. You're fighting a battle that is not only about you, but it's about your legacy. It's about the destiny of the people that God has brought to you and around you, whether that's your children, whether that's your parents, whether that's people that you lead. The battle you're fighting, that's where we get so much uh, tunnel vision from. We think it's just about us. It's never just about you. Divorce is never just about you. You know, the enemy's like, well, you just divorced them. And, it, you know, no, 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 it's never just about you. Now, there's always more than one person that's involved. You can't control the other people. But I'm here to tell you what happens when you're in a, in a painful situation, when you have tunnel vision, is it's like I'm just worried about me. And the whole time, the devil probably is not as much worried about you, but he's worried about the seed that God has birthed through you that he knows the destiny is going to destroy what the devil has set up. Everything we do, God is a God of multi-generation. He is a tri-generational God. So when you begin to look at battles, not through the lens of one situation or one circumstance, then what you recognize is you're fighting for legacy. You're fighting for the destiny of those that God has placed in your life and around you. We're called to fight the battles, and we're called to destroy the enemy. And I'm convinced that some of you came here tonight, you've been fighting battles in your life. I'm convinced some of you are fighting the battle of addiction. Maybe it's a physical addiction. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs or nicotine. Maybe, maybe it's a spiritual addiction of I'm, 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 I'm wrapped up in worry and fear and oppression and depression. Maybe, maybe I, I don't know what it is, but there are some things that have plagued your life and you've been battling bad addiction, addictive behaviors. You, you know, anything in your life that is perpetual, that causes you to miss what God is doing. I think some of you came facing health challenges. You got a battle of sickness. You've gotten a terminal uh, diagnosis. I think you've gotten some. And here's what I would say is, is almost even worse than that. Is a chronic sickness that doesn't have a terminal diagnosis. So you're willing to tolerate living in defeat. Like I can cope and manage this. And so we tolerate the enemy's battle and ongoing war in our life, never experiencing full victory, which God has already paid the price for. I think some of us came battling to keep your business afloat, keep your employees together, to keep finances coming in. I mean, these are all battles. Why? Because God called you into the marketplace so that you would be a marketplace missionary, that you would bring the resources of the world into the kingdom of God. So what you're doing is kingdom business, and if you give up on that business, you're giving up on God's ability to funnel resources through you through that business. You came here, you're fighting the good fight, but you're tired. Maybe it's going back to school. You got kids, and I don't know about you, when you become an adult, it's easy to say, oh, I don't need that. But you feel God's called you to go back and get your education, your bachelor's, your master's, your doctorate. And, and you started to go back, but now the finances got tough, so you figured that might be a sign that God's not in it. But it's not that God's not in it. The devil's been fighting you to stop. So you can play this cascade of situation over each and every one of our lives. We've all got battles. Maybe it is your marriage. 
Maybe you're together, but you're not together. Maybe you live in the same house, but you're not unified. Maybe you're just tolerating one another. I don't know what it is, but we're fighting battles. And I'm here to tell us that like Jonathan, we can step out in faith and partner with God and defeat the enemy that's come to defeat us. So I want to have a conversation. Here's, here's my conversation. Imagine, and, and I think I'm going to do one day a series called Imagine or something like conversations with, you know, giants or legends. Or, or maybe it's just conversations with ordinary people who did extraordinary things. But I want to have a conversation with Jonathan and just say, Jonathan, what was it that you would say gave you the ability to fight the enemy and to see God's people experience victory? So in other words, I'm fighting the battle. Can you give me some advice so that I can experience the same victory that you've experienced. And I think there's four things. There's many other things, but I really believe these are four things that Jonathan would tell us. Number one, that faith is not the absence of fear. It's the courage to do it afraid. So faith is not the absence of fear, but it's the courage to do it afraid. The courage to do it afraid. The courage to step out. The courage to take it a risk, the courage to move your life forward. And what I am concerned about is that we can live a life that is, we are Christian, but we never learn to live a life of courage. We're safe, we're complacent. We're, and when I say safe, it's like we tolerate the life that we live. But, but you're not living life to the full. And I know this kind of has some of the same overtones of what I talked on Sunday. But I just feel God wants to encourage us and to stretch our faith because he's moving and he wants to get involved in your life. See, what's interesting with Jonathan is Jonathan didn't allow the situation to paralyze him. But now Saul did. When you read the story, what we find is that the thousands that Paul uh, Saul led were now dwindled down to 600. And Saul is sitting and laying underneath a pomegranate tree. That his fear paralyzed him from taking a step forward. Now look, King Saul was the king. He's the one that should have taken some advances forward. And it says he was there with the ephod, which is the priest who would have heard from God. So he's inquiring of God. And it's not because, here, here's my challenge. He's laying down when he should be standing up. He's passive when he should be attentive. He's inquiring of God when he already has the direction that God's given. Go and fight the enemy. Destroy the enemy. Don't stay complacent. Some of us want to pray and ask God for strategy. And he's saying, I just need you to move. And so if you don't rise up, I believe God will raise someone else other than you. I don't need somebody else fighting my battles. I got battles to fight. I don't want my sons to fight my battles. I don't want my daughters to fight my battles. I don't want you to have to step up and fight my battle because I didn't engage in the battle that's in front of me. So I'm not going to allow fear to paralyze me. And one of the things that we know about Jonathan, and here's, here's what I love, you know, when you evaluate, why did Jonathan have courage? Why, why, didn't he, why did he have this courage that his dad didn't seem to have? Well, this is towards the end of Saul's reign, and Saul is nowhere close to God like he once was, at least before he tried to live for God. But now he's become complacent. He's become an apathetic Christian. 
But Jonathan seems to still have some spunk in him. He still believes that the God who, who was yesterday is the same God of today, that he has power, that he is great. Look at what it says in verse 6. It says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. So what Jonathan understood was that courage comes because you know your God. That the character of God, the nature of God himself, when you understand God and you believe God is an active partner in your life, courage rises up. It's like, wow, I can be courageous. Why? Because God is real. God is active. God is participating in my life. God cares. And though I may not can see him, though it seems like I'm surrounded by the enemy, I can take steps of faith because my courage doesn't come in the fact that I've only got one sword between me and another. Courage doesn't come because my dad is sleeping and hanging out underneath the pomegranate tree. The courage comes because my God has equipped me and empowered me, and I know that when whether by many or by few, God will bring about a victory. And I want us to know that your confidence has to be in God, not in of yourself. So, so let me say it like this. The confidence to get debt free is not just into your intellectual knowledge. Not just in the books that you read. There has to be a super. Listen, if it doesn't need a miracle, if you don't need God, then you would have already done it. But the fact is you need a miracle so you can learn the knowledge, but then you have to have the courage to step out because you know your God. So we don't have confidence because we don't really know God, nor do we know the character of God. And so I hear this all the time. I, I, I would, but I can't because I don't have enough money. Well, who in the world ever had enough money? <laughs> Can I just add, like, like it is the worst thing to do, say I don't have money. No, but here's what I say. Like even when we got ready to buy this building, all I needed was a word from God. Charge. I'm like, I got you, God. Jeremiah 32, 27, that was my come to Jesus moment. And it's like, God, I got you. But I didn't step up and say, I ain't got the money. We just cast vision because I know the God of heaven paves his streets with gold. And so though I don't have money, my daddy does. You with me? So it begins to flip the script on the battle that you're fighting when you recognize, no, you may not have the wisdom you need to go and start the business that you want to start or have all the resources. You go learn everything you can. But there is some part of that where it's just divine wisdom that you spend time with God and it's like, God, because here's what I know. Have you ever met someone that manipulates them out their way and they're like trying to make things happen and get to know the right person and you kind of smell it? You're like, man, what are you doing? But then have you had the relationship where nobody's trying to use you or get around you because of what you have, but there's a divine flow. You showed up in the right place at the right time, and there was just a supernatural divine flow. I experienced this all the time in my life. And, and the reason why is because I know my daddy God. But I, I remember Pastor Chris Hodges, my pastor. He's been my pastor now for six years. When we got ready to start this church, there was a situation that happened with my old pastor. And, it, you know, for, I was heartbroken. You know, our relationship got severed. And it just was a very heartbreaking thing for me. 
And it had nothing to do with my side of the relationship. And I remember being heartbroken. And then I was up in Alabama. I'm coaching church planners. We're about a year old. God had given us great success. And so I helped to form and fashion the coaching network of ARC, which is the organization that I'm a part of. And I'll never forget, I heard the voice of God as clearly as I've ever heard anything. And it's just on the inside. We had a day off. We weren't coaching church planners. But I had heard Chris Hodges was going to be in a session teaching this session, and I just felt the Lord, I, I just, I know when God speaks, go and just sit. Well, we're off. Phyllis, and so I told her, I said, baby, I know we're off, you know, but I really feel like that I'm supposed to go and sit in this session, and it's PC, and if you don't want to go, don't go. Well, Phyllis said, no, she's my ride or die. She's like, let's go. We go to this session, and a long story short, from that moment on, Pastor, well, it was a couple of months later, but that started the scenario where Pastor Chris has grafted me into the pastors that he pastors. In other words, my connection with a deep spiritual father who would cover this house, cover my life, cover everything in ministry came because of a divine appointment, not some superficial manipulation. And it happens because you know your God. It's like, nah, it ain't got nothing to do with me. What battle are you fighting in your own strength, in your own goodness, in your own intellect, in your own savviness that you need to say, God, I need you. It's all about you. Look at what Matthew 16, 9, 26. With God, all things are possible. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Romans 8, 37. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If you want to build your faith for the battle that you're in, you've got to focus on who your God is. Here's a few things that I just looked up. So I just thought I'd write them out. God is powerful. God is ever-present. God knows everything and created everything. God is sovereign. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. God is love. God is merciful. God is faithful. And God never changes. The God of Jonathan is the same God that we serve today. Stop focusing on your enemy and start focusing on your God. Courage, courage, courage. Second thing, I think Jonathan would tell us, here's the second thing. Battles are fought and won together. Battles are fought and won together. Jonathan didn't go up to fight the Philistine by himself. He went up there with his armor bearer, a man that would go up there with him, and he understood that as a man, I could go up there by myself, but I need somebody. In other words, you weren't built to battle alone. I know that they got this saying, army of one. Listen, that's just in the movies. That, but in real life, that's how you get defeated. The devil's come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And if you're by yourself, if you're isolated, the enemy will pick you off. Look at what Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12 says. By yourself, you're unprotected. But look, I, I love this. With a friend, you can face the worst. And then I like this. Can you round up a third? Sounds like a small group to me. A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. So here's what I love. If you ain't got a third, just get you and somebody else. That, that's what I love about marriage. See, the enemy's trying to destroy the thing God brought into your life to experience victory. And so you've got, listen, Phyllis and I, there have been many a days where it's like, I don't know if anybody else is with us. I don't know if there's anything else we can do. But if you and I are together, I don't care. We can face the world together. We can face the enemy. We can fight him. 
It doesn't matter. And then when you get a small group, it's one of the reasons why we are so big about small groups. I'm not trying to get you something to do, but you got to have your battle buddies. You got to have people that are ride or die, big days and bad days. And there's something about when people are in your life that God puts the courage that not only you need, they'll put it in them too. I, I love, I got best friends that I've had for a long time. And when the devil fights against them, I'm like, who, who we got to go whoop up? And I, I, I don't care. Even in the natural, I'm like, bro, just call me. I'm there. Look, hey, brother, Rose Rich for something, right? I mean, hey. I'm like, my church would actually grow if I got in a fight. So if you want to go fight, let's go fight, baby. We'd probably add people to this church. <laughs> but isn't that how we're supposed to be, that God's raised up an army, warriors, people that are fighting? Now, we're not fighting against people, of course. But when's the last time you invited somebody to go battle the enemy you're fighting with you? We may even be in a small group, and it's like, no, nah, it's too big. I don't want to tell them. No, 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 no. God put the courage that you need in them as well. That's what I love about the armor bearer. He didn't say he was complicit or compliant or he just did it out of duty or obligation. What he said, heart and soul. You got some heart and soul people in your small group that if you give them a chance to invite them in your battle, their heart and soul is going to be with you to make sure that you win in this battle. You know, I was thinking about Vanessa. She's going through some challenges uh, you know, I was thinking, Phyllis is your battle buddy. You know, she'd been texting Pastor Phyllis. Vanessa Batista serves us and has served us personally for a long time. And I, I, I know that even in the middle of what she's facing, and it, it's amazing because Phyllis literally will get a text and start praying. She'd say, hey, PJ, listen, you got, you got to know she's going through this. We got, to, we got to pray with her about this. What is that? You were made to fight the enemy together. You were made to have a relationship. And the enemy would cause you to believe those people won't fight for you. They will fight for you. And when you bring them into the battle, you will experience victory. I love it because it even said, said Jonathan, somehow he would tussle him to the ground. I don't know if he was just quick and, you know, he just, I just see him moving. But it said his armor bearer would kill him. Isn't that funny? He didn't even have to kill him. Now, I'm sure it was probably a little bit on both, but, but I just thought sometimes what you need to kill the enemy is in the buddy you're supposed to bring. I don't want to just knock my enemy down. I want to kill it once and for all. You know what I'm talking about? Look at Matthew 18, 19. It says, again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it will be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Isn't it interesting? Not by yourself. Not solo and isolated, which I love, personal devotion and quiet time. But there is a time where two or three people or even more come together and agree for victory in your life. So what are you saying, PJ? Don't fight your battle on your own. Third thing I think Jonathan would tell us if we're having a conversation is fight the enemy in front of you. Jonathan fought the enemy that was in front of him, not the enemies that were coming to him. And I think it's easy to get overwhelmed with the possibility of the battle for tomorrow and not realize I was only built to fight the battle for today. That's where fear and anxiety begin to take over. I had a conversation today, and, and one of the things I just brought back to the remembrance was, don't worry about the what ifs. 
Worry about the battle I got to fight today. What is it that I need to fight right now? What is it I need to believe God for right now? What is it the enemy that I need to name? Because I also believe what will happen is if you start to have an attack from the enemy in different areas, if you don't name the enemy, then you start to feel very overwhelmed. Like, have you ever felt like I've got no time? I'm just stressed out. A lot of times that's because you've not named where the stress is coming from. I have found when I feel overwhelmed, there's not enough time, there's not enough energy, not enough resources, I just got to list out what do I need to get through this week, cool, boom, what do I need, okay, so I list it all out, here's the meetings that I have, here's what I've got to go to, here's what I'm talking or talking at, here's some of the confrontations I've got to have, whatever it is, I list it out, and then I begin to stack my, my, my giants each and every day so that I recognize today I don't have to fight every battle, but there is a battle I got to fight. And God, I don't need grace for everything yet, but I just need grace for today. So God, would you wake me up with enough grace to fight the, the, the enemy that I've got to fight today so that I can see victory, not for the whole battle, but just the battle I'm faced with today. And as you begin to do that, there is such a grace, such a peace. The enemy will try to drag you out. What I'm convinced of is that we we lose a lot of the battles we fight because you fought the giant out of order. I'm telling you, like I, I, I could just tell you story after story, writing the book. I could tell you whether it was writing the book, whether it was purchasing this campus. You know, I'll never forget even writing the book. You guys don't know some of the backstory of what happened. But it, I mean, it was so comical at one point. I'm staying in a hotel. Phyllis puts me in a hotel for a week and says, you got to finish this thing. She'd come bring me lunch and breakfast and dinner and all the different things. And the, the day my manuscript was due so that we could get it out to 4,600 pastors and leaders at the art conference, someone had broken out my window at my truck just before we were to come to prayer here and pray. And I thought, out of the 45 years of life, I've never had anyone ever break a window, much less at a hotel. And how many of you know it's not coincidence that it's the day my manuscript was due? It's like, listen, I'm just telling you that the enemy would have, so, so this is what I did. Here, just this situation of how I dealt with it. My window's broken. Cool. I drive to prayer, glasses flying in, so, you know, glass everywhere. And I roll up, and uh, Phyllis meets me there. I forget what day it was. It had to be 21 days of prayer. And so I'm there, and I'm in there, and I'm leading 21 days of prayer. So I just go in there, didn't tell nobody, and I just, I, I came out, I handed Phyllis the keys, I said, we will deal with this later. Give me your keys. I'm going to the hotel and just bring me some breakfast and I'm going to go finish this manuscript. Why? Because I wasn't going to get distracted with fixing the broken window. I was going to stay on task with the giant I needed to slay. Finish the manuscript. Finish what's needed for that moment. And so some of you get distracted by the auxiliary battles that are taking place and then you never go back to finish the battle you've been faced with. Some of you are drowning in debt. Listen, you've been, you've been facing all these battles. Drowning in debt. Your marriage has fallen apart. Your kids are on drugs. They're rebellious. They're running from God. Your spiritual life is struggling. It's non-existent. And you're fighting fear and anxiety all at the same time. You can't fight all of those battles at the same time. So what you need is a strategy. God, which battle do I need to fight first? Well, first, let's get breakthrough on addiction. 
We'll pray for you and that'll happen immediately. Get some accountability. Second, now I need to build some spiritual disciplines. So God, I'm gonna build spiritual disciplines in my life because I'm a better father and husband. I'm a better man if I'm spending time in your presence. Then I go to work on my marriage and then I'm gonna work on my kids. And then lastly, I'm gonna start really knocking out these finances. But do you see how I address one battle at a time, one step at a time, one thing at a time? Otherwise, it's too much. I think that's what he would tell us. Fight the enemy that's in front of you. Fight the enemy. Just focus on what's in front. And if you don't know which one to fight, ask God. Strategy. Here's the fourth and final thing. Here's here's the last thing. I'm, I'm closing right now. I think he would tell us that faith is risky but necessary. And so, and you know, and I know none of these. These you know all of these. It's, but I, but I thought about this. Not having faith is risky. See, the enemy has convinced you that risk only runs one way. Do you know that not having faith, Jonathan and his dad would have been murdered? The Israelites would have been defeated? Do you realize that not having faith in your life could result in the enemy defeating you? You're bound up in addiction. You come to church with a smile, but your heart is broken. You make it into eternity, but you've never actively engaged in victory here, so you never fulfill your purpose. And so it's risky either way. I would rather take a risk moving forward in faith with God than take a risk being paralyzed in fear. And recognizing that it's a calculated risk. Look, I'm not all about just taking a risk for nothing. Like, like I get it. I'm going to take the right risk. I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm talking about, God, I'm going to step out in faith. That, God, I know that faith demands action. Faith has to have feet. So here's what I would ask you. What has the Lord spoken to you to do that seems a little risky? That causes you to get out of your comfort zone? And if I could challenge you with this, if you hadn't got out of your comfort zone lately, you may not be living the life of victory that God has called you to live. Because I'm telling you, here's what I get concerned about. I don't get concerned about the enemy attacking me. I start to get a little concerned when the enemy stops attacking me. I recognize that as long as I'm moving forward in faith, I'm advancing God's kingdom, the enemy has a bullseye on me. But I'm also convinced that when you stop moving forward in faith, when you stop advancing God's kingdom, I'm convinced the enemy's like, nah, I ain't got to do a whole lot with you. And then we blame the enemy when the enemy doesn't need any credit. We're the reason we're walking defeated. It's just a little bit of risky. It's a little little risky. Stepping out is uncomfortable. And and I look at Jonathan, think about it. They could have lost their life. They could have lost, you know, everything with them. And yet they just, they decided, God, I'm going to go. And here's what I want to challenge you with too. When we live a life like this, it's not halfway. It's not like, could you imagine Jonathan and them going up and then pausing about halfway and saying, I'm good. We whooped y'all though. We came out of the cave. No, no, it was all in. It's everything. It's, It's not halfway. Faith is not halfway. There is a full Moving forward when it comes to faith. Faith is, God, I'm uncompromising in what I'm going to do for you. I thought about this. There's no safety net. There's no plan B. I'm convinced this. If you have a plan B, you're not fully committed. You think about 
you know, kamikaze pilots back in the day, they would get in these planes and they would literally crash their planes into the enemy. There, There was no backup. There's no, that's it. Like, are we kamikaze Christians? Or are we like, oh, God, just leave the landing gear? I, who knows? I, I have found when I have a plan B, what will happen is I'll talk myself out of God's plan A. How you know good is not God's great? I don't want to be complacent, comfortable and compromise and complacent. I want the fullness of God expressed and demonstrated in my life that though it's not perfect I'm experiencing God's victory and I'm here to tell you listen if you it's not I wish we could always experience it man I, I just think we're almost always in a battle somewhere and I want you to know that that's okay Father I thank you for what you're doing play, play saying God can you do that Why don't you stand up for me? I I really believe. I I wonder if God could just impart something into us. Here's the last scripture, Deuteronomy 31, 6. And I love this passage. This is one that I pray often. Be strong and courageous. Don't you love that? Be strong. It's not a suggestion. It's just be strong. What are you going to do? Be strong. Well, how, how am I strong? Because the God of heaven is inside of you. Isn't that awesome? Well, I'm not strong. No, but God inside of you is. I can't do that. No, but the God inside of you can. And then not only strong, but courage, 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 courage. It's like a resolve. Like, God, I trust you. There is something that wells up within you when you recognize how big. See, some of you, your problem, your battle, your circumstance is bigger in your eyes than the God you serve. Courage comes because you just recognize. You know, I've showed that illustration that it's easy to let something small get in your view of God. Like you get a penny, and if you'll hold it up in front of your eyes, you can actually block out the moon. And I wonder if we got that little something blocking out our view of God. We're just like, ooh, that thing is so big. And then when we put it in perspective, we recognize, oh, this is so little. Look how big my God is. Look at how big he is. Well, then something rises up. Then you start to get mad at the enemy for the advances that he's tried to bring against you and your family. Because here's what the Bible says, and you need to know this. He says, we will look at the enemy, the devil, when we cross through eternity, when Jesus whoops, we're going to say, that's the one? That's the one? That's the one that wreaked havoc on this earth? That's the one that defeated us? And it's like, no, 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 no. There's a church in Richmond, Texas that we got our eye on God recognizing that he is the one that fights our battles. And then look, look, that's that's where he says, don't be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And look at where he says, he says, terrified. Go back to that other portion, terrified because of them. Doesn't that show what we just talked about? So you're looking at them. That's where terror and fear comes. You're looking at your problem. That's where you're terrified and you're afraid. But then it says, go to the next portion so they can see it. For the Lord your God goes with you. He'll never leave. So I just focus on you, God. I focus on you. 